This podcast is brought to you by Sipla Foundation and Score Foundation. Hi, my name is George Abraham and welcome to Iway Conversations. My guest today is Siobhan Mead from the UK. She is a journalist, a digital marketing professional and a disability activist. Hi Siobhan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, George. Siobhan, the other day I was reading one of your tweets where you were talking about a marathon run which was muddy and grimy. Uh, tell me a little about it. In January this year, my grand passed away to cancer and I decided that I wanted to, to do something in her memory. And my beautician was saying that there is a pretty muddy 5K, three-mile race coming up in May. Would I like to do it? And I've never run in my life. I'll run to the fridge, but I've never run a race before. And I thought this sounded really, really interesting. And so I did. I practiced for six weeks running on the treadmill in the gym. And then I took to the fields. And believe me, by the time I'd finished this race, not only was I exhausted, I was covered in head to foot with mud, grime, and it was everywhere. It was in my hair, my shoes, wading through water, sliding down lots of logs full of mud and it was good it was all for a good course race for life for for anyone battling cancer and anyone who has lost their life to cancer so you ran this alone or you had an escort runner I had a sighted guide runner who was my beautician and it was something that she had never done before she'd never guided a blind person before and uh, I was in her mercy I was in her in her arms basically and she was guiding me through the muddiest parts of the race course if you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness please share the iway national toll free helpline number One eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine. The number is one eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine. Now, uh, Shivan, you are a journalist, and uh, uh, and you are also visually impaired. That's a rare combination. Uh, talk us through a little bit about this professional journalism that you do. Back in 2007, I decided that I wanted to to get into radio, to get into media, because it was something that I thought would be a really good idea to not only spread awareness about what I do, but I was really interested in the community aspect. So community radio was something that I wanted to do. So I I I spent a lot of time with uh, people who are who were in the radio industry and it was something that I'd built upon over many many years and then back in 2010 I did a creative writing and journalism journalism diploma looking at uh, ways of being able to to educate myself a little bit more about journalism and then I started writing for a local newspaper in my my home 
country. And I literally have spent 11 years writing for the Mercury about disability and how I live my life as a blind person and really raising awareness and educating people of all the things that I, I get up to. And uh, that, was, that was very, very interesting. It's something that I really, really enjoy doing is, is writing uh, and, and also radio. So uh, you do a lot of community radio, is that is that it? I did community uh, many years ago. I haven't actually done community radio um, for, for several years, but it's something that I started off doing because it was something I was really interested in. And we, we kind of gathered as a group to, to look at how we can really come together as a community. And um, it was all through volunteers. And I did it as a volunteer because I wanted to start my journalism um and and that's really where i started but i did do a little bit of hospital radio as well now you mentioned that you did a course in uh, uh, in radio and journalism uh, in india uh, if a blind person wanted to do such a course it's uh, quite a challenge so uh, in the uk if you were to do a course in journalism how simple is it to get admission to such a course and uh, are there kind of uh, support systems in place there are many different ways that someone who has a disability or impairment to to get that education and support we are very fortunate here in the uk that we do have things like that like support mechanisms to enable someone to be able to to do that sort of thing so you could have the um disability students allowance which can give you funds and finances to enable you to get any extra equipment that you may need um to, to make it more accessible. Uh, you can also you know, get uh, someone who can visually scribe things for, for you, who can maybe give you some sighted assistance. So there are many different options depending on your own preference and need. So for me, I, I, I had somebody who, who was visually able to, to kind of write notes from the blackboard uh, and to support in any other aspects of my education. So I found it a very easy and simple process to be able to do that. Um, and again, I feel very fortunate and blessed really to, to be in a position where I had that support because I know that not everyone has the same sort of um, abilities or freedoms that, that you know, I have had in terms of, of learnings. You are known for your vlogging, which is video logging on YouTube. Now, that is, again, uh, for a visually impaired person to be prolific uh, on YouTube does not sound very um, common. Uh, talk us through that. As someone who has really been interested in media and raising awareness and educating about visual impairment, it was back in 2011 where I started my YouTube channel, but I left it for several years purely because I, I wasn't able or I just didn't think I was able or confident enough to do it. And then I really felt a place where I could actually raise more awareness uh, getting that confidence through doing all of the other things that I did like with radio. And it's something where I, I've wanted to kind of like develop. And over the last six years, I have brought my YouTube channel up to nearly 1,200 subscribers talking about how I live my life as a blind person, the most embarrassing, the funny, the serious, and and all of the in-between. And I want to show that just because I, I'm blind, it doesn't define me as a person. And I want to be able to reach out not only to other visually impaired people, 
but to anyone who wants to learn more about blindness. And that's really what I want my, my channel to be is somewhere where people can go and ask questions because I've said before, you know, in my, on my channel and any across my social media that I'm an open book and that's how we learn and educate ourselves is by asking those questions. So if somebody wants to uh, subscribe to your channel, uh, would you like to give the coordinates? Yep, it's youtube.com forward slash blind girl vlogs. Blind girl vlogs being one word. Yes, one word, yeah. You also have been part of a campaign called the Respect Campaign. And uh, you were telling me that uh, this had to do, this was a direct response to the various situations of discrimination that you had to put up with. So would you like to talk about the discrimination, uh, the situations of uh, uh, discriminations that you, you had to put up with and what is this respect campaign all about? Back in November 2013, I moved to a new hometown of Stevenage and it was meant to be a new adventure. But within weeks of moving to Stevenage, I found myself on the receiving end of hate crime. So I was targeted because of my blindness. So I would go out into the community, into my streets. And most times that I did, I would be abused. I'd be sworn at. I would be intimidated for simply being blind. And this carried on for many months. And I decided after the final incident of all of this hate, this discrimination, it was when I was going down with my, my fiance at the time to the old town and there was a group of lads who said, let's rob them. Let's see how much they can't see. And from that point, George, I, I was so scared and traumatized. I went home and I was an absolute mess. So from, from then onwards, after that negative experiences over many, many months of being tormented and abused, I decided that I needed to turn all of this negative into a positive and that's where I started up the respect campaign which is going into schools colleges youth groups talking to young people about hate crime about disability and about the impact that these incidences had on me so I wanted to give something back and I didn't want all of the horrible negative things that had happened to me to to kind of define me so I've now stood up to to hate crime and I'm a very very avid uh, person who talks about all of the all of the things to do with hate crime because it really does impact and devastate lives. You were also talking about um, being discriminated in public spaces like restaurants and supermarkets and uh, so on and so forth. Would you like to tell us about some of these experiences that you had? I work with a guide dog and he is my eyes. And over here in the UK, we have the Equality Act 2010, which protects us. It protects us to be able to go into places like restaurants, supermarkets, bars, taxis, to live the life we choose. Now, we basically were discriminated, me and my guide dog, um, when we went into some restaurants in London. Um, and the reason why I was discriminated against is because I happened to work with a guide dog and the feeling and the embarrassing, it, it's, it's so, it's, it's traumatizing. Every time you go into a restaurant to be turned away simply because you work with a guide dog is soul destroying. 
And it's not every time it happens, but it's, it's on the increase, you know, being denied access, you know, to a place where everyone else has access is just horrific. And it just makes me feel incredibly sad. And this is why I stand up to, to things like this is because, you know, they cannot refuse you access. They are breaking the law. And um, this is an area that is, is very close to my heart because many people are denied access simply for working with a guide dog. You know, this experience that you had at Leicester Square, London, uh, with a couple of restaurants was covered by the BBC. Uh, how did the media get involved? Did you go to them or uh, they just happened to be around? I posted my incident uh, being denied access across my social media and the media picked up on, on this and they then got in touch with me to say, would I be prepared to, to speak to, to them at the BBC and some other media outlets? And of course, I said yes, because I want to raise awareness about this that it does happen and that we need to make sure that these things don't happen again and to learn from the the mistakes so yes that's that's how the media got got hold of me is is through my social media Uh, and i think this is where your digital marketing came into play yes i think very much so um knowing knowing obviously how the media tick and you know those sorts of human impact stories I think you know that that is something that I'm really passionate about is making sure that I'm using my voice and using my social media platforms as a place of education and actually raising that awareness even if it's not necessarily a positive experience even the negative experiences still gets the word out there. To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in. Please note www.scorefoundation.org.in. Now, I was watching a video where you were interacting with very young school kids who were asking you very innocent questions. Uh, How did you think about this? This looked like a very interesting uh, campaign idea. Now, I wanted to ask you whether this is a campaign. How did you get down to do it? And what is the objective of this? And how do you go about it? Through my work uh, as a digital marketing producer, I was contacted by the organization that I work for guide dogs here in the UK and they said would I like to go to uh, to a school a couple of schools here in the UK to talk about uh, the funny things that children may ask you as a blind person and I said I would love to do that children are innocent and again I've, I've kind of said this all the way through this podcast is that this is how we learn children need to kind of see disability children need to be able to to ask those questions that adults don't necessarily ask and I I did it's something that I'm really really keen on doing is going into schools uh, to speak to young school children and some of the questions were very very funny and um, it was something that kind of like made me smile because children are very very sweet and innocent and they they don't mean any offense by what they ask and uh yeah, the campaign is, is still very much alive and kicking and, and it's something that I love to be able to do um, on, a, on a regular basis. Now, you mentioned that you work with an organization that's involved with guide dogs. Now, guide dog is a relatively unknown concept in India. So what exactly is a guide dog? And very often I have in the UK, in Australia, in the US, 
guide dogs are referred to as professionals and uh, specific breeds are identified to be guide dogs uh, they go through a process of training before they are placed yes yeah, so guide dogs here in the uk are 91 years old and we we basically train guide dogs to facilitate and support someone who is blind or visually impaired now many there are many many breeds out there but the ones that we generally use are labradors labretrievers we do have some german shepherds we do have some standard um labradoodles so they're known for for being great guide dogs and i've been a guide dog owner for 19 years and they go through a very very strict uh training regime um it's all very ethical the dogs love what they do um, so from about seven, eight weeks old, the, the puppies um, will then go into um, a volunteer puppy raiser's house for about a year. So they're socialized in, in you know, local environments, going to shops, bars, restaurants. So the dog will have a really, really good overview and, and get familiar with what their life will be when they actually get matched with someone who is blind or obviously impaired. And when the, the the guide dog is then matched with the, the owner. We then go through a process of about two weeks in a hotel or domiciliary training, depending on the person's own need. And then we and then we, we get trained in our local environment with a guide dog mobility specialist who are able to, to kind of facilitate um, that relationship with you and your dog. Um, and then once you kind of like have I've had that training for about five weeks when you're at home you are then kind of qualified to go out into the big wide world and live your life um, with a, a guide dog by your side. And for me, having a guide dog has changed my life. It's, it's enabled me to do things that I'd never thought I would be able to do. You lost your uh, eyesight uh, starting from the age of 13. And I think between 13 and 16 is when you lost your eyesight. Uh, what were you doing when you lost your eyesight and how did you move forward in life? I was at school when I lost all of my remaining vision at 16 and it was a very, very difficult time in my life because at 16, the world is your oyster. You um, are begin beginning to find out your own personality and you know your whole life is ahead of you. So at 16, when I lost my, my remaining vision, it, it was a very challenging time because I wanted to be able to do everything like my friends were, were able to do but I had to, to kind of re redo a year of my schooling so it set me back a bit um, and it it was a very it was a very tough time but um, after a year of, of sitting and, and feeling quite sorry for myself I heard a guy talking on the radio a blind chap who was saying he's gone to university he's traveling the world and that actually made me sit up and realize actually if he's able to do it I'm able to do it and to this day I've never looked back and I think it's it's having that positive frame of mind yes it's really really it's traumatic and it does feel like there isn't any hope but keep believing because it does get better and I'm living proof for that. Uh, is one thing to change your attitude from being passive to being positive and uh, changing your approach. Uh, what were the kind of resources that came to your aid at this point of time? I think it was a lot to do with my school teachers, my key workers were very, very instrumental 
instrumental in giving me not only the the physical support that I needed in in training, like using my long cane, learning my environment, but also that emotional support. So getting that emotional support, not only from my friends and my family, but from those medical professionals who were able to to kind of give me that that strength and the the other sources and signpost me to various different charities to be able to give me what I needed at that time uh, because we all we all go through various different things and we all cope differently so not everyone is going to have the same experience uh, as me necessarily but I think it's important to kind of reach out to to anyone that you trust any organizations or charity but just have that conversation with friends and family if you're struggling then speak to people don't suffer in silence speak to people don't suffer in silence that's what you say right yes definitely that's that's my attitude um and i think that we can all we can all you know learn a lot from actually being a bit more open and a bit more transparent and not kind of like hiding how we feel because our friends and our family and you know all the people around us who care and love about us you know they they want to see us happy they want to see us thrive so by you know sharing how we're feeling honestly and truthfully can really can really enable us to be able to move forward in a in a much more positive frame of mind uh, one of your vlogs uh, i was watching where you talked about uh, removal of your eyes you opted to have your eyes removed that's a strange expression quite pretty unusual as far as me in india is concerned uh, Uh, what exactly did you mean by removing your eyes why did you take that decision any case you were not going to be able to see because you were blind so what was what purpose did this removal of the eye actually serve for many many years i suffered with glaucoma which is the build up of pressure in the back of the eyes and, and from just being in constant dis- discomfort and just debilitating pain headaches it was after many many years of going through this i thought there's got to be something i can't keep going back to the hospital having having surgeries to kind of take the pressure down having drops having tablets and i spoke to my consultant and i said look what can be done i don't see anything anyway so why can't we just remove the eyes it will take away the pain and that's what i did i decided along with my my um i consultant that we would go down this this road so i had the first eye removed um and then i waited 4 years before having the second eye removed and the reason why i did this is for vanity reasons because i was worried that um aesthetically it wouldn't look as good and i wanted to make sure that i was doing the right thing um even though the pain was unbearable it was that the right eye was the painful one um the most pain that i'd experienced so that went first and then the left eye was beginning to get really really painful and i thought well okay the right eye has gone down well no nobody says anything and it looks fine then i went with the left eye and the reason i i had them both removed is is because of the pain and uh i don't experience pain anymore which is amazing so um tell me uh, shivon about your family who all are there in your family and uh, when you lost your eyesight how did they respond and rally around you I've got an amazing family. I've got a huge network of family. I'm the eldest of six children and uh my my grandsadly, you know, who passed away earlier this year, she was a massive constant support in my life when uh, I lost I lost the remaining vision I had. 
uh, my mum and, and all of my aunties and uncles were just there to support me. And I, I think that's really, really important is making sure that you have a very solid network of, of people around you. And I feel very lucky because not a lot of people have that. And you know, by, by having all of the, the support from my sisters and my brothers and, and, and my family have made me a confident, independent person I am today day um, because they they gave me that strength to move forward and I think if I didn't have that things may be very different for me so I am I'm very lucky and I and I love my family dearly. Uh, Siobhan uh, you are relatively young at the moment you have uh, a long innings to play what are your goals and aspirations going forward? I love this question, George. So my goals and my aspirations for moving forward is really to continue the work that I'm doing raising awareness about blindness, really highlighting not only to the communities, but to also government is, is that I think, you know, we need to kind of like keep pushing our corner and keep raising awareness about discrimination, cha- potentially changing the laws. Just, I think for me, it's, it's carry on doing my videos, my vlogs um, about my life and, and um, to, to continue talking about hate crime um, and my experiences to try and uh, hopefully help other people going through similar things. So carrying on doing what I'm doing is, is, is what I would love to do. Well, uh, Siobhan, it is wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Wish you the very best. Thank you so much, George. This podcast was brought to you by Sipla Foundation and Score Foundation. Yeah, Roshani, 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 Roshani,